Episode of the Rewind It Back Movie Podcast. I am Bill, and Joe's here, and we got a guest on tonight from the Cradle of Filth and Delco. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Greg Fournier, everybody. How's it going, everybody? Nice to see you. Greg, thanks for being on the show tonight. Yes. So tonight, we are discussing a 1987 comedy film called Spaceballs. I don't know if any of our viewers have heard of it, and if you haven't, you've probably been living under a rock your whole life. So this movie was produced, directed, and written by Mel Brooks. And Mel Brooks, I think, is just like the king of doing parody movies. Some of my personal favorites, uh, besides this one, would have to be Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein. One that always doesn't get enough attention, I think, is History of the World Part 1. And Robin Hood Men in Tights is probably the one that a lot of people have heard of because it's the most, I guess, the most recent. I can't think of anything past that. Nah, that's definitely, I think the most recent, there might be one more, but it wouldn't have been good. But History of the World is definitely my, I mean, it's brilliant. And I mean, he's known for putting music into it, but the way History of the World just has musical numbers, you know, Inquisition alone is <laughs> genius. So yeah, we, everything uh, he touches is genius, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Even his Broadway stuff, everybody loves his. Everybody loves the producers. That's one of the best Broadway plays ever made. Yeah, and the movie version of it that he did was okay, and the other versions of it have been okay. I mean, sure. it's it's timeless humor, I suppose. I that that opening scene of the History of the World Part One still kills me with the <laughs> Neanderthals just like waking up out of a slumber and just start beating off. Well, the, that was the the evolutionary step they needed, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, whatever, uh, you know, it could either put you to bed or, you know, give you more pep in your step and to start your day. Oh, well, yeah, it's a cup of coffee be damned. <laughs> All right, so we'll, uh, we'll so first off, um, as everyone knows, this is probably the, uh, what, fourth week that we are broadcasting live on Twitch. Joe is monitoring that. So if any of our listeners who are listening right now or tune in at some point later, you know, feel free to drop a comment. It'd be a question, you know, put your two cents in about something. Joe will be monitoring it and then he'll bring it up if anyone has questions or has, brings up a valid point about anything. So again, Spaceballs is a 1987 American space opera parody film. Again, I said it was written, directed and produced by Mel Brooks. It's primarily a parody of the original Star Wars trilogy, but it also has other sci-fi films in there. Popular franchises like Star Trek, Alien, a little bit of 2001 Space Odyssey, Planet of the Apes. The film stars Bill Pullman, John Candy, Rick Moranis, and Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers does the voice of the droid called Dot Matrix, who is the equivalent to C-3PO. Bill Pullman, he plays a character called Lone Star, which he would be close to be considered to be uh, Han Solo. John Candy plays Barf, who is uh, his alien sidekick. Uh, and Rick Moranis is the Darth Vader of the film, which he is called Dark Helmet. 
So the movie is about Lone Star and his, again, his alien sidekick named Barf. They rescue Princess Vespa of Druidia and her droid Dot Matrix from being captured by the Spaceballs, led by President's group, who wants to use Vespa as ransom to obtain Druidia's heir for their own planet. And at one point in the movie, while rescuing her, they get stranded on a desert moon where they encounter the wise Yogurt, who is the equivalent to Yoda. And he teaches Lone Star about the metaphysical power known as the Schwartz. And meanwhile, uh, Spaceball Commanders Dark Helmet and Colonel Sanders lead the search for them, but are hindered by their own incompetence. Oh, man, where do, we, where do we start with this? Right at the top, homie. <laughs> flop, flop wedding, escape. Oh, man. The, so the, the whole scene opens up, the movie, with this with the Dark Helmet's big-ass spaceship. And I mean big-ass because it takes a good minute and a half for the whole thing to pass by. And that's exactly what Star Wars does in, the, in every single movie where they have like this opening scene of some kind of starship flying by. And that's what this is doing, but it's doing it for a minute and a half. It's almost like what Family Guy does. If like Peter Griffin falls down and scrapes his knee, he does that. Ah, ah, just is over-exaggerating it and just drags it out. And that's essentially the, the, the joke of the film of stuff like that. And it takes forever because it's a gargantuan ship. And then the once the ship kind of gets through the camera, you, you go to the planet of, I think it's uh, Juridia. Yeah. And they're at the wedding of Princess Vespa and Prince Valium, who's a narcoleptic, half asleep, can't keep his eyes open, and f- arrange marriage because she's a princess. She must marry a prince. And then she has second thoughts and just, just hit the bricks, takes Dot with her in, in her father's Mercedes and leaves the planet. So going back just a little bit to the, to the Star Wars part of it, I think the very first time I saw this movie and found out about it well i was probably in fifth or sixth grade and at that time is when the star wars uh special edition movies were coming out so i was a big star wars fan um saw the movies collected the action figures trading cards everything i dropped more coin in the star wars franchise than michael j fox would have at a parking meter so when that was out i was always watching star wars religiously and at one point i was watching I think I rented the movie from either Blockbuster or Hollywood Video at the time, but I rented Young Frankenstein just because I think someone recommended it to me. But anyway, so I was watching it and, you know, I didn't get all the sexual innuendos at the time in in that movie. Like I got all like the dick and fart jokes and like guys walking into walls and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I found it funny. And my dad, he knew I was a big Star Wars fan. He saw me laughing at it. and He just goes, hey, did you know that the guy... Mel Brooks, the guy who directed this movie, who made this movie, he also made a movie that kind of spoofs on Star Wars. It's called Spaceballs. So again, a couple of weeks later, I rented this movie at uh, at Blockbuster, and again, I got all the you know the the jokes, you know, not the you know the dick and fart jokes, but I didn't get all like the the stereotypes behind it because this movie has a big stereotype, a lot of Jewish jokes. And I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And I would ask my dad about the jokes in the movie. And like the, when they say, like, instead of saying that may the force be with you, they say may the Schwartz be with you. And my dad found that funny. And I was like, why is that funny? He just goes, well, Schwartz is a Jewish last name. I'm like, okay, but we, why is that funny? And he just goes, well, you, you know, it's, 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 it's just a joke. And, and I was, I would always ask him these questions about like what, what these jokes meant. And he got to the point where he was like Billy Bob Thornton and uh, bad Santa, where I'm just like bombarding him with questions. And he's like, well, are you fucking with me? <laughs> he's like, he's like, you, he's like, you know what? Just watch this movie in 10 years. You know, you, you'll probably know what it means. So that's how I stopped everything on this movie. Yeah. 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 My dad introduced it to me and it was just, he was a Mel Brooks fan. He like, you know, all of them were introduced to us and it was, 
you know, the interesting thing about this movie is that it's 15 years after Star Wars came out, 13, 14 years, whatever it was, after Star Wars originally came out and Mel Brooks thought he was going to get sued to the nether regions, but Star Wars was like, yeah, it's clearly parody, so we can't do anything about it. That And to follow up with that, though, I read into this a little bit before, but I followed up with it last night. He So Mel Brooks actually personally approached George Lucas with this movie, and he mm-hmm. showed it to him, asking for his opinion and his blessing. And George loved it, but he said, please, no action figures. <laughs> that was the that was the only stipulation for merchandising. So, as a part, there's a scene in this movie when they're stranded on the yep. desert moon, where they get rescued by the Dink Dinks, who are the equivalent of the Jawas, I believe, from Star Wars franchise. They get taken to yogurt, and he has a whole display of merchandising: spaceballs, the breakfast cereal, spaceballs, the lunchbox, spaceballs, yep. the flamethrower. And that scene was added to get a, a, a bit of a rise out of. George Lucas because they couldn't sell a lot of the merchandise because he said no. He loved the movie, but he, but they couldn't do any of the real merchandising they wanted to do because <laughs> he would have been he would have done George Lucas things. Well, yeah, he's because he gets pretty grumpy about people with Star Wars. Well, yeah, he's... well for obvious reasons. I mean, but Mel Brooks is just having a good time with it. Mm-hmm. In any event, for me, I first saw this movie. Court, I checked with my mother. I was three years old. Let me explain. So when I was three, I got chicken pox. And according to my mother, this was the only thing that kept me from crying and itching myself to death. So the, we, my parents had it on a VHS and we just watched it on loop to keep me from screaming and crying while having uh-huh. chicken pox until I felt better. So I probably saw this movie 50, 60 times before I was 10 years old. <laughs> yeah, and, that was- I watch, and I watch it myself at least once or twice a year just for the laughs. Yeah, we have a couple, not of movies that my sister and I have that were our sick movies that any time yeah. we were sick, we'd watch them. So yeah, I know, this is my, I, know the, I know the type of movie. This is my sick movie. Yep. And I, and I just, so I grew up watching this and Star Wars in parallel. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes, for me, that's what makes this movie special because I, I knew all of the jokes kind of, a, kind of probably before I should have known them. Yeah. And, and I still get a laugh at every single one of them. They're all hilarious. I would go as far as to say that this movie is better than the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> well, it's it's different. It, it's a comedy movie, whereas the Star Wars prequels attempted to be legitimate it's Star Wars movies. movies. They tried. They tried. Did as the Simpsons said, digital eyelash rendering doesn't make a movie great. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a fair point. <laughs> no, but this movie. I mean, so to con- continue on though, dur- so. Bill Pullman, or sorry, Lone Star, gets mm-hmm. a phone call on his uh, in his Winnebago because if for our listeners who have not seen this movie, Bill Pullman and John Candy, so um, Lone Star Barf. and Barf, Barf, are, Barf. Barf are driving in a night in what looks like a, a Winnebago, um, like a, a motorhome, and which is supposed to be the equivalent of sort of the ramshackle Millennium Falcon that Han Solo and Chewbacca are, are flying around in Star Wars. It's beat the shit. I love it. And so they get a video call from, from King Roland, basically asking to rescue his daughter from uh, Spaceball One, which is the name of the ship. And he asks for a million space bucks. They get a million space bucks and save the princess, only to crash land because they have no gas in the Winnebago on the desert planet. Hmm. It's hilarious. You get into... So we haven't talked about Rick Moranis' character of 
Darth Vader equivalent Darth Hel- Dark Helmet, and it's this little wimpy Rick Moranis who is benevolent and in with the princess's uncle or princess's father, played by Mel Brooks, and they're in cahoots together. But the lines that Rick Moranis comes up comes out of with when uh, prepare for ludicrous speed, definitely combing the desert just and a hard cut to people just with giant combs in the desert. And then when he and the, the backup guy are in front of the computer screen, reading the script and watching it happen. Well, that's happening now. What do you mean it's happening now? Well, it hasn't been written yet. Just Rick Moranis was perfect in that role as this little wimpy, but ben- crazily evil guy. So that coom the desert scene, I'll get to that one. I have a clip of it, but then there was also this one. Careful, you idiot! I said across her nose, not up it. Sorry, sir. Doing my best. Who made that man a gunner? I did, sir. He's my cousin. Who is he? He's an asshole, sir. I know that. What's his name? That is his name, sir. Asshole. Major asshole. And his cousin? He's an asshole too, sir. Gunner's mate, first class, Philip Asshole. How many assholes we got on this ship anyhow? Yo! <laughs> and that coom the desert scene, that, that's a great one too. I love how when Moranis is using a megaphone while yeah. talking to Colonel Sanders. Well, and, and the, helmet, the helmet. Yeah, yeah, I love his whole safari pith yeah. outfit. That's yeah. hysterical. That, that's With a little trap door in his face. Yeah. Are we being too literal? No, you fool. We're following orders. We were told to comb the desert, so we're combing it. Found anything yet? Nothing yet, sir! How about you? Not a thing, sir. What about you guys? We ain't found shit. That's a classic scene. Everyone, everyone knows that particular scene. Mm-hmm. Everyone. This whole movie is full of scenes like that from top to bottom. Like you said, Joe, there's a lot of, there's a lot of jokes in here like that goes beyond the Star Wars stuff. Like, again, I mentioned in the beginning, there's like a lot of stereotype to the, to the Jewish people. About 95% of this movie is, is stereotype. Well, there's a lot of penis references in there. And I better, uh, I have to say this very delicately. So Mel Brooks movies, Monty Python movies, The Simpsons, Married to Children, all those shows, movies I grew up watching. And as I started watching them as a young age, probably like 12, 13 years old, and I became very say, intrigued with stereotypes as a kid. And I remember my dad having to explain to me these jokes that I would hear in movies because I didn't know what they meant and why they were funny. And, you know, I would always say like, well, why would all people be like that? Or how can one thing apply to everyone in a certain group? And I mean, it was just, it was puzzling to me what stereotypes were. I mean, not to use them, of course, but I guess that was my way of me trying to figure out the world. And to me, that was just like a different language. And with this movie, I mean, like we said, we got the Star Wars jokes and other movie jokes in here. Like, I guess, uh, like I said, there's a lot of uh, cultural stereotypes in this movie that are probably 95% towards the Jewish community because, I mean, it's, it's Hollywood and that's, you know, all of them live in L.A., all of them, a lot of them live in New York. So I guess that's what it was. Well, that's it, Mel Brooks's, you know, all of his movies are allow for comedy at the expense of the jewish community i mean or just true. cult or different Dude, cultures any, any in general cultural, any culture yeah, yeah, I mean, doesn't i mean he 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 is a very much jewish man and i think he'll be the first to tell you that he's very much a jewish man and he writes from his life experiences but he can do it with any culture certainly and and he doesn't everyone's fair game and no one's left out so 
I mean, if you've ever seen Blazing Saddles before, you know exactly mm-hmm. what we're talking about. No, that's well, yeah, that's that. probably the pinnacle of his <laughs> sort of uh, borrowing from other, other cultures and throwing them under the bus a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they basically said, like, he changed, like, the Wild West because of that movie with all the cowboys sitting around that campfire eating beans and just ripping ass. Well, yeah, it was all, you know, hard westerns until then, and then he put comedy into it, and then... Yeah. I mean, every Western was basically John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, and then mm-hmm. Mel Brooks roll, throws a dice in there with Blazing Saddles, and it's hysterical. It turned, it turned it upside down. It was great. You heard of me? Heard of you? Who hasn't heard of Yogurt? Yogurt the Wise. Yogurt the All-Powerful. Yogurt the Magnificent. Please, please, don't make a fuss. I'm just plain Yogurt. But you're the one. Yes. I am the keeper of a greater magic. A power known throughout the universe as the... The Force? No. The Schwartz. The Schwartz. Yes. The Schwartz. But, Yogurt, what is this place? What is it that you do here? Merchandising. Merchandising? (laughs) What's that? Merchandising. Come, I'll show you. Open up this door. <laughs> Come, walk this way, take a look. We put the picture's name on everything. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. Space Falls the T-shirt. Space Falls the coloring book. Space Falls the lunchbox. Space Falls the breakfast cereal. Space Falls the flamethrower. <laughs> the kids love this one. That's like a good, like, fuck you to George Lucas. <laughs> That's one of my absolute favorite scenes in this movie. It's so perfect. Yeah, and I got to say, like, the, 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 the cast in here, too, is, is pretty solid. I love John Candy. I love Rick Moranis. I mean, this movie, so, like, all in all, like, this movie's dumb, but it's like Mel Brooks dumb. Like, it's a good, dumb, funny st- movie. And, and I think it helps, too, that we have, they have, like, a lot of beloved comedic actors. We do. Um, yeah, so, like, Rick Moranis, John Candy. And it's weird because, you know, you, you think of these movies, well, especially with John Candy, he, you know, Uncle Buck, Plain Strains Automobiles, Canadian Bacon, all those movies. Rick Moranis, he was in Ghostbusters, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. What's that? Shop of, Shop of Horrors, Little Shop of Horrors yep. or whatever. So it's, it's cool that they're remembered for these movies because they really weren't given a chance, I guess, to say, to run their bits into the ground. Because, you know, Rick Moranis, he retired early from film because his wife got sick and he wanted to be there with her and he wanted to spend more time with his kids. And, well, no, John Candy, he died early in life. But by the time I saw this movie, uh, late 90s, you know, Moranis had already stopped doing films and Candy had died years earlier. You know, they were just, I guess, frozen in time with with movies like this. Another genius comedic actor, Robin Williams, who we all know, he he died you know, a couple of years ago. I'm actually no, it's more like almost ten years ago now. But you know, his death was tragic. But I guess like at the end of his towards his career, he was just doing these really bad comedies. Like he was in that RV movie. He was in those Night at the Museum movies. He was, I mean, he was just in a bunch of shitty movies towards the end of uh, towards the end there. But we remember when he died, we remembered like his his old stuff, like Mrs. Doubtfire. Good movies. Like, yeah. Yeah. Good Morning um, Vietnam and Jumanji, yeah. all the good stuff he did. And the um, first Night at the Museum movie wasn't half bad. Yeah. Subsequent ones were terrible. Bill Pullman, he's he's a great uh, character in this movie. He's known, well, he's, I think he's really, besides this film, I think he's really well known for the Independence Day. A couple other 90s movies in there, but I don't remember much else. Yeah, but he made he made eleven billion dollars on Independence Day. 
And he, really? yeah, he was in some, he was in a lot of um, 90s rom-coms, like not even rom-coms, like drama, more drama rom I don't know. Not rom-coms like they are today, but he was, he was in a lot of the stuff, you know, around the Independence Day time. He was yeah, on but, TV for a bit too. Yeah, but it just, again, with the, these characters and these actors, like they just, it's a, it's a silly movie and it's just like silly jokes, but they make it work so well. Like Moranis, he, he his character, he's, he's small structured with a large helmet. There's a penis joke right there, uh, but, but that's re- resulting in just like some really good physical humor. And he oftentimes references, you know, his inadequacy, inadequacy. Bill Pullman and uh, what's her name? Daphne, uh, who plays Princess Vesna? I know her first name uh, is Daphne. Daphne Zuniga. Thank you. They are their, your typical hero and princess role. Uh, most of their jokes are being written uh, around them. Like, for example, Vespa's superficiality, like they have that hair dryer scene where she's lugging it around that big chest, you know. They have, they reference like a, a nose job and just general like prissiness, you know. But I think like the one, the one scene that I really, really like is in the, it's a late scene when it's at the end of the movie when Lone Star and Barf are sitting around at this diner. I think it's called like the Greasy Spoon or something like that. It, it's somewhere in space. And while they're there, they're looking at another crew at the corner of the of the bar. And it's the crew from the Alien movie with Sigourney Weaver and all. And one of them is actually played by the star in there uh, that, from Alien, John Hurt. And he's the guy, and he reenacts his scene from Alien in the movie where the, the alien bursts out of his chest and the creature screams and he leaps onto the countertop and Hertz dies. Hertz dies by saying, "Oh no, not again!" And then the alien proceeds to sing that "Hello, my ragtime gal" from that Mel- Mary Melody's cartoon, whoever that frog's name was. Yeah. Um, but it's just again, it's just it's it's simple, silly humor like that. That I think that it's it's just random referencing throughout like Mel Mel Brooks's career and what he has seen. Yeah, I just think that this movie is just it covers a lot. It covers a lot of ground when it comes to the yeah. cultures that it bar and movies that it borrows from, cultures that it borrows from. One of my personal favorites is actually pretty early in the movie, and it's the radar jamming scene. So, for our listeners who have not seen this movie before, in order to avoid being detected by Spaceball One, the large vessel, Bill Pullman says we have to jam their radar. Jam their radar. So you literally see he pulls a so they pull out some sort of like you know like Star Wars esque face shooter like a face like a like aiming system and they shoot and a literal jar of jam is shot from the Winnebago and hits some sort of satellite dish on top of space ball one and then that fucks with the radar inside the ship and then I forget the actor's name but he does the 10,000 voices he's like he, he played a uh, Lavelle in all of the uh, a police academy movies um. I, forget, I forget his name but he was doing all the beeps and bloops and all their fun stuff but then there's 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 raspberry jam leaking down the computer monitor, <laughs> jamming the radar signal. They and jammed lo- our radar. And of course, a dark helmet comes over and you know, licks the the jam. He's like, "It's Lone Star." And that was just, there's only one person I know that uses raspberry see? jam. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite scenes in this whole movie. That and we all know about that. So get a further a little further along here. Once the so the prince so once they meet up with yogurt in his little desert temple she's found by dark helmet colonel sanders and the rest of the Spaceball one crew and then they draw her out by dark helmet using the power of the schwartz to mirage a vision of her father king roland so they kidnap her and then they have to go so bill pullman realizes this they go gas up and go after her and 
she's the ransom for the uh, the codes for the the planet shield for steal all the air. The air vacuum, and it's literally a vacuum cleaner sitting on top of the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, so we're get, we're getting there. So, so so spaceball one is not just a large transport type vessel; it becomes a gigantic made. So they push like a button or something, and it becomes a gigantic maid yeah. with a vacuum cleaner that's sized just right to fit over the airlock of the planet. Then it, they turn on the suction and start sucking the air out of the planet. Now, commence operation vacuum suck. hilarious they do do the big wind scene where everybody's holding on right i'm not misremembering that but everybody gets sucked off the ground at one point including mel brooks as as the father there they get sucked off the ground like everybody did like a vertical wind take basically during filming for that end scene with the vacuum cleaner i think Oh no! Are you thinking about the one scene where they're going to light speed or ludicrous speed? Or they well, ludicrous speed—that's a whole other level. So, ludicrous speed, as we were just talking about, dark helmet in at Central Bucksy swimming. There was there was now there was a shirt that was made well before my time. It was one of Will Huber's older brothers' shirts, but it was it must have been around the time he had brothers that were twenty years older than him, so it must have been in the late eighties, early nineties. But it was a skinny guy in dark helmet. It was dark helmet standing on a starting block in a speedo and the caption just read prepare for ludicrous speed. But it was one of the best things that I ever saw. And it was this vintage one off. They made up probably 20 of them were made originally. And that was probably the last one to exist at that point. What, so what that's referring to is earlier in the movie after they, after uh, Lone Star and Barf successfully rescued the princess the first time, <laughs> they're about to be captured by uh, Spaceball One. And so then the Winnebago goes into, I guess, we'll call it light speed for now. They take off running. And, of course, Dark Helmet wants to, ch- to give chase. They, and he says, jump to ludicrous speed, which is many, many, many levels faster than light speed. So they do it. They have no idea what they're doing, completely inept. That's sort of the whole theme of this movie, right? They're completely incompetent. Mm-hmm. President Scrooge is incompetent. Dark Helmet's incompetent. Colonel Sanders is incompetent. And the ship goes, but it moves so fast, the light kind of bends and it becomes a plaid pattern as they fly by. And, you see, and, and so it flies over the Winnebago. And I believe John Candy's or Barf says, they've gone to plaid. <laughs> he does. As they, as they go Because they pass him, of, right? They pass him overhead, yep, like yep, millions of plaid. miles yep. way beyond. Didn't they say and like, if, oh, they're like two weeks ahead of us now? <laughs> something like that. So, of course, you know, they're trying to so, – so a dark helmet is hanging on for dear life. He's like flapping into it like a flag. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And, then they, and then they pull the emergency brake. The whole thing fucking stops on a dime. And he flies into the front of the ship and like compresses his gigantic helmet and basically is dead. Absolutely hysterical. Yeah, I like it when he, when he comes to. They're like, you okay, sir? And he's like, ugh. Did we stop? <laughs> it's like let's take a ten minute break. I mean, there's there is there is there is nothing about this movie that I don't like. I mean, just top to bottom. I mean, it's hilarious. 
it's everything. It's 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 every Star Wars joke. I mean, the incompetence of all the of all the stormtrooper esque. You know, they can't they can't hit anything. I mean, yeah, it's they a- really pointed that out where like they're just unloading on uh, on Daphne at one point when they're trying to get back into the Winnebago, and they're <laughs> all of them. There's like nine of them, and they're shooting and shooting, and they're all missing. And then she just <laughs> takes out her gun and just mows them all down. Yeah, she goes. She goes all John Rambo on everybody. Exactly. Just mo- mows exactly them down. What she does. Oh, it's, a, it's hilarious. I so I actually have a soft spot in this movie for Joan Rivers, the voice of Dot Matrix, the 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 C three PO parody <laughs> robot. One of my favorite parts about her is the Virgin Alarm. Uh, so yeah. so we're so when so when they're marooned on the desert and they're at yogurt's temple um lone star and princess vesper are sitting outside and they're starting to build their budding romantic relationship and dot matrix was in sleep mode so of course they went for a you know the trope kiss and that's going to the wrong place according to dot matrix and she springs to life with this like ridiculous fire alarm sounding you know alarm her chest is all blinking red and shit and she breaks up the the fun time that was about to happen and joan rivers is just hilarious this movie perfect deadpan delivery at every line she gave she was basically the cock block oh, oh yeah totally. she was the chastity belt much like um wasn't there a chastity belt in robin hood men in tights as well at the end yes yep yep yes, yes there was so she was the same same concept was robin hood men in tights mel brooks Yes, oh yeah, absolutely. Damn, yeah, that was. He yeah. he plays the Jewish. Uh, he gives rabbi. Offers, he offers yes. circumcisions yeah, at the yes. camp. Yeah, yes, you got on the horse right. on the horse cart mm-hmm. walking through the village. I knew there was another movie after the Princess Bride, or he wasn't like, Princess Bride. Rob yeah. Reiner was Princess Bride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the, the, he had like the same characters in the in the same uh, Men in Tights. I knew there was another Mel Brooks movie, but I couldn't put my finger on it. That's what it was. Whether it was before or after, it was one of the ones that were more. It was, I guess you could say. I think it would have been after Princess Bride would have been. Uh, Yeah, Princess Bride was nine was at the same time as this nineteen eighty seven time frame. Yeah, because Tice was like mid nineties. Yeah, what's his name was still alive, and that guy would not have been alive for guy from Princess Bride, um, Columbo. Hmm, Okay, what's his name? Yeah, I I know who you are, but I can't can't remember. Ninety three is when Robin Hood came in, or Mm -hmm. okay, there you go. All right, ninety three, somewhere there. All right, thanks for thanks for jogging my memory there, boys. So all I had to do was talking out with you guys. Young Chappelle was in Men in Tights as well. Yeah, he was. He played yeah. Blinken. Abe Lincoln. Oh, no, well, he was no, that was he wasn't named Blinken. He was, was uh, a sneeze, I think, right? Or Blinken one of was a chew. Blinken. One of those. One of those. Mm-hmm. Blinken was the blind guy. Was he? Yeah, because yeah, there was one. Oh yeah, because Chappelle yeah. says Abe Lincoln. Uh, yeah, his name was a chew. Hey, Blinken. No, I didn't say Abe Lincoln. I said Hey, Blinken. <laughs> And when therefore they're about to fight, they like cross the bridge, and it's just a creek. They say he's exactly the Mississippi. I'm on one side, and I'm on the other. I'm on the east Excuse side. Excuse me, bad I'm guys. On the west side. It's not that critical. He pumps up his shoes. <laughs> Excuse uh, me, bad guys. I'm running out of air. <laughs> Sp- uh, speaking of speaking of running out of air, so the, the like the premise of this whole movie oh, is, is stealing yeah, so, the air yeah, so from the, the planet. So let's back. Let's go to a high level here a little bit. The premise of this whole movie, it's baseballs, is that President Scrooge, who is probably the worst political leader on earth, he's supposed to be a parody of, I'd say, Palpatine, but it's a really bad parody of Palpatine, which is why it's so great. And he. As far as I could tell from watching this movie, you know, 15 million times, he just wastes all the air of, of Planet Spaceball. 
and they need to, and people are, I guess, not living. And he actually, in one scene in the movie, he keeps cans of air in his desk, Perry air. And breathes them in when he gets too pops. stressed out. Yeah. He pops, pops it, them yeah. open and huffs the can, mm-hmm. like taking whippets. And so the whole mission of this movie is to, is to somehow capture all the air of the neighboring peaceful planet of Druidia with their giant, you know, vacuum robot <laughs> and somehow get that air over to space, planet's baseball. They don't tell you how. And that and that uh, that vacuum cleaner looks like a one big giant like transformer of a of a maid or something. It's a maid. Well, yeah, yeah the the, and, the ship turns into it. Yeah, and then that's when uh the whole Planet of the Apes theme parody comes into play is because that ship blows up, and General Scrooge, Dark Helmet, and Colonel uh, Sanders are like in the in the head yeah. of the maid, I guess. And it just like it, it's spinning through space. It lands on this planet. It's it's the beach scene where like you know the apes are like riding on the on beach horseback. They yeah, they see like the the uh, Statue of Liberty head. But, yeah, um, I, I just hear I saw that and just heard Charlton Heston's voice like <laughs> popping in my head. Yeah. Damn dirty apes! You blew it up. <laughs> and so the way was so kind of, damn you. So so kind of what ha- so what happened at this point was that after they recognized what was happening. They piloted the Winnebago inside the ear canal of this giant made robot vacuum sucking the planet Druidia. And they got to like, what I, well, we'll just call it like a part of the brain stem or whatever. Of the, of the, they tried to find the self-destruct mechanism of the, of the robot. They knew one had to exist. Somehow it's Star Wars. And they go, the, so Lone Star parks the Winnebago, gets out. Fights his fights his way into the self destruct and then is immediately interrupted by Dark Helmet and they have their and they have a lightsaber battle with their Schwartzes which they have to hold at their waists as essentially penises correct correct they hold the rings at their crotch and out comes the Schwartz Dark Helmet's one is like limp <laughs> I see your Schwartz is bigger than mine or just as big as mine excuse me. And then, and, he the, sa- and then he says, let the whole uh, the Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker line where he says, I'm your father. But he says, Lone Star, I am your father's brother's cousin, cousin's <laughs> roommate from college. Like, what the hell does that make us? Absolutely nothing. I mean, I, lo- I love the parody of that to Star Wars. I mean, you know, you, you see the vision of, you know, Darth Vader pleading with Luke. Luke, I am your father. That famous scene when he cuts his hand off in the original Star Wars and I think A New Hope. And it's just... And then it's just hilarious, right? They have the shittiest fight you've ever seen. He's like holding his helmet and he's swinging wild because he's so because oh yeah, Rick so Moranis tiny. is so tiny he yep. can't actually hit anything. And Bill Pullman just like you know drills him with a solid right in the face. And then he and so what happens? So after they have their this ridiculous, pointless fight scene and the last hit onto Rick Moranis, he falls into the self destruct button, yeah. and the ship has five minutes before it's going to basically explode. And they, you know, and they got to hit the bricks and get out of there, and that's what was leading into what Bill and Greg were discussing with the whole Planet of the Apes scene. They get to the point where the ship explodes, but prior to that, there's all the escape pods being ejected from the points of the maid hat, and they're all fighting for escape pods inside of the inside of the like the command center of the ship. So yeah, because much like the Titanic, there weren't enough uh, escape ships for everybody to get off. Yep, much like much. En- much like any Empire ship would be. Like <laughs> we're only saving like forty percent of you guys. Like you're going down with the ship. And yeah, I, and I think what makes that scene so the, so there so there's a lot of people leaving the ship. And what makes it memorable is it's not just like stormtroopers or you know the the it's like 
the bearded lady from the circus. There were tur- tourists there as well. There were, people there on were, vacation. Yeah, there was a bear. There was the tim- there was a timpini drummer from the orchestra who's in there, and he waxed. Well, I think he waxed Dark Helmet on the head with the mallet. So everybody else is leaving except President Scrooge, Colonel Sanders, and Rick Mor- and Dark Helmet. And then the ship blows up and jettisons them onto that end of that planet of the apes type planet. Absolutely hilarious. It's like the, it's the same story as Star Wars, but with just little little silly jokes in throughout, just kind of parodying it. That's the again what we've been saying the whole time about that's what the movie movie is, and it, it does it well. It's silly silly jokes. It's like why some of the jokes are like why am I laughing at this? But it's you know it's funny. Yeah. Um, well, you're laughing at it because you're laughing at it because it's funny in sort of the broader context of what it is, right? The individual jokes probably on their face aren't particularly funny. They're all probably a little bit tired to some extent. They've been done before. I mean, I mean, everyone has seen a, a movie that's similarly styled, either for Mel Brooks or some other director who has a comedy like this. But it's funny in the context of what it's trying to parody. Because Star Wars is a serious movie. It's, it's definitely not one you laugh at in any way. And then this just takes it to like the next level with the, with the, whole, with the gross incompetence of the, space, of the Spaceball One crew and President Scrooge. And sort of the sort of what I'll call, you know, it's like a half-assed attempt to save the princess, right? Like they're not really doing anything. It's hilarious. And it's, you see the same thing like in, in our generation with all the, the scary movies, like how many scary movies are there of parodying off of scary movies, you know, Scream, Halloween, Friday the 13th. There's like five of them. And it's the same thing again. I, well, I think with scary movie one, two and three were good. And the other ones are just kind of like, dumb but like you see them all the time throughout the 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 2000s there was that not another team move there was that um action movie it was just basically everything about like all the oh that those movies or something those became became eventually not watchable they were so yeah 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 but what i'm getting at is that it's 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 it's, they they just try to to copy what's been done before just to get that what and he was the king of parody was mel brooks that Everything was a parody. I mean, Young Frankenstein was a parody of Frankenstein movies and all other horror, black and white horror of the time. They didn't need to make that movie in black and white. You know, color existed at that point, but he did it. Because it was fun, because it made the movie. Because it made the movie. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this really is a testament to Mel Brooks. I mean, he took something that's really serious and has a lot of, you know, I mean, people will associate Star Wars with not just with space opera, right? Sure, it has all that fun sci-fi stuff, but there's a lot of really interesting themes in Star Wars that are serious with the Empire. Well, um, yeah. So what the point is that there are a lot of serious elements to a movie like Star Wars that, that people do consider very serious and Star Wars really doesn't, there's nothing funny about Star Wars. It's a great, I love them, but they're not funny. Mm-mm. And Mel Brooks is the master at taking something that's so serious and then manipulating it in a way that just brings out the humor in what this and what the underlying subject matter is. Well, yeah, Everything. because in this universe of existence, the bad guy has been stealing air from planets and killing off generations of people, killing off planets for his whole life, you know, for however long he's been in power. We can assume that he's been sucking the air out of planets and it just takes these two morons to come down and take him out eventually. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean I mean he's I mean he's driving a fucking Winnebago. Yeah. Like it's like that's the that's one of the best parts of it is like 
you know, you expect you if you're expecting a hero, you're not really getting one with with Lone Star and no. Buff. You're fucked. I mean, they're they're clueless. I mean, you saw his Winnebago. It looks like a college dorm room full of like beer cans and dirty clothes and exactly. It and which is why this movie is so great because it's just it's every aspect of this movie. There's nothing serious. It doesn't take itself seriously. And again, sometimes comedy movies can get ahead of themselves and they think that they're the funniest thing walking and it shows in how the comedy is really not comedy at that point. There is nothing, this movie is nothing but lighthearted poking at Star Wars up the bottom. And it doesn't take itself too seriously because if if, if it had gotten a little bit more serious at at various points, it would have lost its touch. But just nothing was serious here, which is great. Real quick before I uh, before I move on to the one thing we forgot to talk about, any uh, anyone chatting it up? On Twitch? No, we have a couple of viewers, but we uh, no one no comments yet. So I'll put it out there. If anybody wants to chime in, if we miss something, if you disagree with any of our opinions, if you like anything we said, let me know, and I'll yeah. and we'll uh, we'll talk about it. So now the next thing I wanted to talk about is a character we forgot, and that was a parody off a of job of the hut called Pizza the Hut. Oh my god. And that, it's vile to look at. Oh my god, it's so like it's it's so gross. The slime that the, it, it's, it's a it's a slimy gym mat basically. <laughs> it's foul. Oh, it's god. And, and Dom DeLuise was the guy that was in that thing. And the I was reading. That, yeah, it was really, it was really Dom DeLuise. I know yeah, that. and I That's read that there, And that at one point they were going to cut that scene, like that character, because at one point. That costume caught on fire because it was radiating heat. It was actually melting the cheese and everything like that, and it caught fire. <laughs> like Tom DeLuise was like, oh, "That's it. I'm not fucking doing this." And Mel Gibson, <laughs> not Mel Gibson, Jesus Christ, Mel Brooks was like, "You're gonna, you're gonna get back in there. You're gonna finish this character." Hey, I don't think Mel Gibson would ever be on a Mel Brooks <laughs> movie set just from public statements um carrying on i I still just can't get over the disgust that i see i picture that abnormality of a creature like it was so gross and now and see but see the the extra grossest there was even better than star wars because i mean Mm -hmm. for, for for our listeners who have not seen star wars before which maybe you have maybe you haven't i'm sure you have job of the hut is this vile sort of slimy sort of he looks kind of like a kind of like a snail without a shell on like a slug go to walmart you'll probably find someone who looks like him yeah <laughs> go to any walmart within you know 50 states you'll find someone who has the the, the sort of he's big he's slimy he looks like a snail Drools constantly yeah has Turn a on the discovery channel watch that my 1,000 pound life, my 600 pound life. That's basically what it is. You're getting to that point. And so the point is, he's just a, he's a, they're just crying. He's a crime lord who's just big and grotesque. And Pizza the Hut is just, it's over the top. I mean, even in the, even in the Star Wars franchise, Jabba the Hut wasn't like all that slimy, all that gross. He was just kind of big and ugly looking. He wasn't necessarily slimy. He he himself was quite dry, I would have assumed. But yeah, I I mean I believe when he when he kind of shuffled his fat ass around, he probably had a little moisture dragging behind him. But Pizza the Hut is literally (sighs) just a greasy Pizza Hut pizza over like a cone. And it's just everything is dripping off. It's just you see like pools of liquid fat and it's disgusting and it's, i think it was just a piece of pizza folded in half that was pizza the hut it wasn't a full like tubular creature it was a 
cone essentially yeah. of pizza. And, and, the, and his little like sidekick henchman buddy, what's his name, Vinny? He like takes a bite yeah. out of him. At the he was end eating him. Was yeah, yeah. So and and the and the, the funny part is so at the end of the so we mentioned earlier tonight that that the price for Lone Star to save the princess was a million space bucks, and that's because in parallel with Star Wars. Lone Star owed Pizza the Hut a million space bucks based on interest he owed on payments he already he previously owed. And so upon so what we find out later in the movie is that somehow Pizza the Hut became locked in his car and ate himself to death. <laughs> and that's just disgusting. He's like, Oh, he's yeah. dead. We don't have to pay him now. Yeah. We're gonna be rich. I love it. It's just everything about this movie is just good, lighthearted fun. And then the end. We got to the end of the movie. So after the princess is rescued and she goes, she gets delivered back to her planet, her wedding resumes. So beginning of the movie, she, she stormed out of her wedding because it was a forced, it was an arranged forced marriage and she didn't want to marry that half asleep Prince, Prince Valium. So she hits the bricks. So then she resumes her wedding and then Lone Star interrupts dramatically. We find out in the movie that he's wearing a, his parents had abandoned him somewhere in the galaxy. And he's wearing a medallion around his neck that nobody can translate except yogurt. Oh, you can read that? Oh, I'm just clearing my throat. <laughs> and so, so yogurt, so when Lone Star and Barf depart the desert uh, temple, he's handed a f- magical fortune cookie. And he has, open it before you eat it. So when, when they drop off the princess they're, and they're flying away to go to that you know, greasy spoon diner restaurant at the end, he opens a fortune cookie and a vision of yogurt appears and tells Lone Star that the medal on his neck is a royal birth certificate and he is in fact a prince and that he could go save the princess. What does he do? Pours liquid Schwartz in the gas can of the Winnebago and takes off. <laughs> liquid Schwartz. <laughs> in your glove compartment is a can of liquid Schwartz. It'll get you where you need to go. <laughs> And he just pours out. He, he pulls out what looks like a a, a can of like premixed weed whacker gas, and just pours it in the <laughs> in the emergency tank of the Winnebago. It's like this golden yellow, like neon glowing liquid shorts. <laughs> and he, he gets there in time to break up the wedding, and then just marry her right there on the spot. And yay, the galaxy is saved. Yeah, and back, we're missing the. It, it was everything about that was great. Happy, happy ending. Oh yeah. Again, this whole movie, though, like just everything about it is is great like this. It's like nothing is serious. It pokes fun at a lot of different things in a tasteful way. Like it's not like particularly rude about anything. Yeah, and it, I know Bill mentioned earlier in the show there was a lot of of these maybe Jewish jokes that maybe some maybe today might be a little bit poor form given our current culture, but back then was just funny and kind of poked fun at 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 different cultures in a way that I thought even now I think is tasteful. I don't think it's excessive. We, w- we were less sensitive to making fun of ourselves then. It was, we, had, we talked about stereotypes. We allowed stereotypes to be exploited more, whereas today we cannot apply stereotypes to anyone whatsoever. So it was easier to make fun of a group of people because everybody was laughing at themselves and laughing at each other a little more, a little with more ease, I think. So. And I think Mel Brooks yeah. at the time got, got a lot of latitude to do that because of the his movies were all like that. They're all kind of good, lighthearted fun. 
and, and and he and he was no slouch. He wasn't just out there. He wasn't a shock jock just to make people cringe or laugh for being uncomfortable. Everybody laughed at Mel Brooks's stuff. It it was genuinely funny. No everybody still was, <laughs> everybody still laughed no matter who he's making fun of. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that we often talk about on the show for for our newer listeners is could this get made today? And I'm on the fence about that for this movie. Yes. I, I uh, think I think that some of the stereotype some of the stereotype jokes would probably be pushed away a little bit. Like things with the Jewish jokes, for example. Anything with, you know, about anything any jokes about money and any jokes about her her original nose might get might get axed a little bit. And her, and the whole theme of a Jewish princess, yeah, I think she's called just a Jewish princess by uh, Barf. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not getting made right now. I agree. It's probably one of the more likely to get made of Mel Brooks's because obviously we know how bad some of his other stuff would play in today's society. <laughs> yeah, you're not getting Blazing Saddles no, today. Not. No, not <laughs> not even a little like bit. Yeah. Um, but I think that. Well, only Mel could do it. If he decided to remake it, he could get away with it again. But I don't think there's anybody that is, quote unquote, the Jewish writer that or the has the savvy to do it the way that he was able to do it. And again, it's a different society than it was 30 now, 30 years ago, almost 40 years ago. So, yeah, now get with the times, grandpa. Yeah, Yeah, but, but there are good parts, though. Oh yes, yeah, and it's not exclusively a Semitic comedy at in any means. Yeah, I mean, some some movies do get like made like this today, not to this extent as as far as stereotypes. But again, the, the scary movies they they got made. But yeah, I just we just live in such a uh, a sensitive society now where no one can take a joke. Well, it's um, not even it's not even it's, I don't know. It's not take a joke. It's it's accountability for the words that people say. I'm not on the. Yeah, but I'm I mean, not. He and he was accountable for what he said because what he said was not necessarily false. Because he yeah. would point out with wit how true his stereo his ability ability to stereotype was. Yeah, I just. I mean, it could get made, but it'd be probably be, would be frowned upon. And I think parts of it were. Yeah. Well, and you know, you look at—is it made today where it's only going to movie theaters, or is it made today where it's streaming everywhere? Because if it's streaming everywhere, it probably gets made somewhere. Yes. If it's, it's only good. for only for movie theaters, maybe not. It's it's like going right to like Netflix or something like that. Well, yeah. It, like, have it, you ever seen the, the we talk about this in our group chat all the time. Well, not all the time, but we used to when it first came out. That Netflix show, Big Mouth, that cartoon show. Oh yeah, I, I like it. I love it. It is. Yeah. It is. It, it's and you know what the thing is is that it's it's raunchy, but it's so true. You know, it's so relatable to what what teens go through mm-hmm. at that moment when they're coming into adulthood. You know, like. Guys and so that off. and that's how you can get away with it today is you look at you look at Family Guy, you look at The Simpsons, you look at you know all of these animateds that are allowed to do a lot more and that's how maybe something you know along Mel Brooks's comedy lines gets made as animated because there's much more leniency because it's not a real person saying it. That's fair. There's a line now. It's a, and it's a hard line. It and is, it's a hard it's line, a, it's but it's a very, a very hard line, line as well. 
is a broad, hard line. You know, it, but, it covers a lot more territory than it used to. That's for sure. Yeah. Do you guys, I don't know, I know this is, this is a rhetorical question, but I mean, do you, <laughs> do you think like maybe someday it'll come back around? I mean, or are we too like far gone now into, uh, into this culture or society now these days? I don't know. Probably not during, not for a long time. I don't think, yet. I don't think it's sick, like, society. Nah, we're, we're past making fun of each other for our differences. That's for damn sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, that became solidified when I saw something come out a couple of years ago that, you know, there was a, there were, and this is for our, for our listeners who have young children, there's a cartoon show called the Paw Patrol. And it's just a bunch of, cartoon puppies who each have an assigned role firefighter police officer helicopter pilot you know garbage collector among other among other roles and they all act and they act as a unit to save the day there was a push a couple years ago after some of the allegedly racially motivated incidents across the united states involving police that the police dog named chase should be removed from paw patrol as a because it, it, it represented something bad about police activity and minorities when I first saw that, and that was in the New York Times, I believe, a couple of years ago. When I first saw that, I was just like, as a parent of young kids who watch this, it's just like, like, a, like, a, like we've we that's that's crossing a line, and that from that line there is no return. I mean, you're you're I you know, some people will call it you know call it cancel culture. It's a pejorative term, but we've certainly crossed a line at that point at this point where there's no going back. When you're when you're assaulting a cartoon police dog. Well, it's yeah. the squeaky and the, 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 it's the power of social media and the squeaky wheel on social media gets the grease. And if you can make a loud enough noise, you're going to gain traction. You know, it's, you know, you only hear about these negative interactions on social media with companies because it's the person making the biggest stink. Whereas the same person who probably maybe had the same bad experience who talked directly to him got their issue resolved no problem without making a public stink so it's we've really gone off in a societal discussion here but <laughs> well, we it, often do on this show but it's it's <laughs> now the nature of i i'm more important than the subject that i'm talking about and that's why these things get canceled yeah. and 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 so like as we often do on this show it reflects sort of our you know, the way movies are made anymore, right? Like you just don't get, you can't cross the lines you used to cross with movies. Like just like this one where you're making, where you're having a lighthearted poke at you know, a Jewish joke that's been forever. The Jewish princess, Jewish mother joke. We all know those jokes. And anybody in our age bracket knows those jokes and just can't do it anymore because you just can't. You'll get, no studio would make it if it had, if it's too insensitive because they, they'll, they'll take the heat of it. And, and as an actor or an actress, you might never get cast again. Yep. in a role and it's unfortunate because movies like this should be made that poke fun at different cultures in a way that's like not insulting it's not motivated by malice it's good light-hearted fun so for me this this movie always holds a place in my heart one because i was it was my sick movie as a kid but also for the way it just kind of pokes fun at everything it's hilarious and in a good, clean way, too. It's not like a raunchy comedy like Bad Santa, for example. And I would say for me, it's definitely it's the introduction to parody. It's the, you know, this is a perfect example of taking something that everyone, you know, most everyone knows and purely making fun of it for being itself. And that's what parody is. And that's fine. And it is the one of, you know, one of the first examples I remember in cinema of a parody movie. 
But I love it, and I'll watch it again and again. I'm yeah. not changing that opinion and for me. Just, see, this is the rabbit hole that we go down when we bring up the question: mm-hmm. Will this movie get made today? And here's where we end up. <laughs> it's a, but it's a good rabbit hole. Yeah, I think I think it adds to the conversation. So so anyway, so speaking of comedies that that probably would not get made today, or just movies in general that won't get made today, we are going to do our next comedy film next next week. I believe next movie that is up another comedy film. With Paul Newman, it is called Slapshot. And if anyone has seen that Slapshots movie, that ain't getting made today with some of the language no. that it has in there and uh, jokes and everything. So, but we are going to do it. We are going to. So, one last trivia nugget before we sign off for tonight. Yes, please. So, for our viewers who have seen Bad Santa, Tony Cox plays, I believe, Marcus Skidmore, the, the, the uh, I'll say little person, but we all know Billy Bob called him a midget. Mm-hmm. Or sawed off Sigmund Freud, whatever you want to call him. Sawed off Sigmund fucking Freud. Excuse me. <laughs> Tony Cox plays one of the dink dinks in this movie. Oh yeah, yeah, does he does. He? he talks. He does. He's the one that talks. Yeah. Yes, he does. You can, and, you can clearly see his face. Yep. Just a little trivia nugget before we sign off. So. All right. Well, with that, gentlemen. All right. Well, yes. With that. That'll conclude this episode of Spaceballs. Join us next week where we discuss Slapshot. Uh, As always, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Breaker, whoever the fuck uses that. We also have our Instagram account where you can find out when our new episodes drop and when we are recording on Twitch. It's every Thursday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Thank you all again for listening. Any you know, anyone who tuned in on all of our podcast platforms, as well as anyone on Twitch. Did anybody tune in? Yeah, viewers, but no, no one's chimed on the chat. That's so all good. good. Thank you for your time. We did that. And we will talk to you all later. Good night. Good night.